Welcome into another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. Jeremy Rushing here alongside Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're not alone either. We got Dan Hudeman, co-founder of Minneapolis City SC with us tonight. Uh, Dan, how are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have you. Uh, we are here because there was a big announcement that happened last week. Uh, we wanted to get the chance to talk to you right after the announcement, but we had some other interviews that we uh, we had to get to. So we're a little bit a week later from that announcement, but I'm very excited to get all the details on Minneapolis City's, I don't know if you want to call it a move, but joining USL League Two. Uh, big news coming down the pipe. Um, Dan, let's start from the beginning here. Um, when did these conversations start about maybe wanting to, uh, you know, John tells us all the time, you know, you're, you're always kind of forward looking as a club, you know, what can we do next? What's the next hill to climb? But specifically when it came to trying maybe to advance into another league or join another league specifically, when did those conversations start? And then when did you, when did it become clear that USL league two was sort of the option that you wanted to pursue? Yeah. So it, it, um, and it came as a surprise, maybe a, a year or so ago. Um, in the winter, we we were we were pretty happy, uh, you know, outside of um, outside of the pandemic. Of course, we were happy with with where we were as a club. Felt like we were really growing. Um, we had some things happen off the field with um, within our league uh, that caused us just to protect ourselves. Um, that caused us to look for some other options to play. Um, and you know, we reached out to other leagues. Had some great great conversations was, was accidental. Um, yeah. As part of that though, uh, we ended up um, having great conversations with USL about league two. And, um, and, and, you know, I'll admit, I never, I never thought that we would have gone that direction. I was this independent soccer guy, you know, franchises, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, again, I, like, I can't speak to it on the pro side, but I can speak to it on the, the amateur side that um, in those discussions, we, we realized some things that we maybe didn't know was going to be true, that we could remain the club that we are. We could remain independent and we could face a higher level of team on the field off with a really professional league. Um, you know, at, at that point, though it was a happy accident that we even started the conversations, um, the more we talked to players, the more we talked to college coaches, the more we looked around and, and looked at the the clubs that were joining the league, it felt like this is a big opportunity for us. Um, but, you know, to answer your question the quick way, it was a little over a year ago, completely accidental, um, not even our idea. Wow. I mean, how, how often has that happened over the last few years? Because, you know, without, without you know, tooting your own horn, you guys are kind of seen as, as sort of one of the standard flag-bearing clubs for lower league soccer. Um, do you guys get approached often? You know, how often do you guys get approached by other leagues about potentially joining, uh, whether no, no matter the level? Yeah, I mean that's a good question, and and I guess in this case I'll just kind of emphasize that we approached them; they didn't approach us, um, and and we we approached them um, because of some very serious things that were happening. So uh, they didn't they didn't poach us, and I think what we're starting to find is that, um, like I, I know there's talks about kind of the soccer wars and league poaching. Um, I've never seen it myself, actually. What I have seen is that like-minded clubs or, or clubs where you know the other owners, you know, we talk, right? And and so as as clubs have switched leagues, um, 
you know, with owners that, uh, that I know well, and I'm, I, I speak to, I speak with them and I ask them questions. You find out about it. I think that, you know, you just, you can't stop that. And I'm curious, right? Like, how is it going? Um, so yeah, this, this is one where we, we, we sought it out and, you know, we've probably, we probably talked to every league except for MLS, um, over the years, um, whether it's through other owners or, or because of that situation that, that happened a little while ago. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that about us as, as a club. I, I mean, I, I hope that's true. Um, but yeah, we haven't, we haven't been like actively, um, courted by other leagues. We've, we've kind of gone our, our own way, which isn't to say that other owners haven't said, Hey, I'd love to play you guys in league play again. I mean, that, yeah. that happens. But I mean, heck, we say that to to Detroit City all the time, and like, you know, I mean it, but also it's not like it, we're going to switch to professional Division Three tomorrow, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, talk me through the logistics of this, because I mean, you guys, you know, last year had two teams. You had Minneapolis City and Minneapolis City Two competing in the NPSL and UPSL, respectively. Um, is this? Uh, a move from the MPSL to USL2? Is this a move from the UPSL to USL2? Is this neither? Uh, how How is this going to, guess, be organized from a, an organization standpoint next year? Yeah, well, you know, this, this gives us a great opportunity to rethink how we operate as a club. And the good news about how, how everything went down is that we had really serious conversations then we didn't have to uh, take the action we thought we did. So we had time to sit back and think a little bit and we're able to think about it in the context of the last season that we had. And so um, what this allows us to do, I think is, um, is change our model as, as a club, right? So we had been Minneapolis city, Minneapolis city too. And then we had the futures program. There are a few things that we learned that drove the, the change in, in model that I'm kind of talking about is that, you know, players, no matter what their level, they really want meaningful competition within a league. Friendlies just don't cut it. Um, you don't get the, you don't, you don't get the attendance. You don't get the intensity. Um, the, you know, the, the guys just can't care as much as they do. And there's something that's on the line. Um, yeah. We're also finding that we've got, we have a number of very talented, very dedicated players. Um, the consistency in our roster surprises even us that yeah. guys want to stick around um, and that we're finding that players from really good programs um, want to stick around too. They like the organization, the coaching, the facilities, the athletic training, all that. Um, and we found that, you know, with our success within NPSL and then the success that MC2 had in UPSL that um, you know, we believe we can compete, uh, you know, um, we have more depth maybe than we had thought because, you know, you never know what that, uh, like how dedicated everyone is. We have quality, dedicated players, more depth, more ability to compete. Um, and so as we think about it, instead of having these different graduated levels, and when we thought about it like that, the, the part of the challenge was, was you want to fill up those teams um, make sure you got enough guys to be you know, making your way trips and all that. Um, we, had a, we had a lot of players that kind of resulted in deserving players not getting the opportunities to play or us having as many chances to move players up a level uh, to give it a shot as we want it. So as we think about the model, we're not going to have a MC1 and MC2 anymore. We're going to have just a single senior 
team. And instead of it being called 60 players across two teams, it'll be 45 or so players across all of our competitions. And don't quote me on the exact numbers right now. That's something to talk to Van Ben Scoten later. But the idea is we're going to cut back slightly on that. And then the senior team is going to have three competitions to compete in. And, you know, the analogy would be like, think about, you know, um, upper table Premier League team, right? They've got the league they've got to worry about. So for us, the league is, our Premier League is USL 2. Then, you know, hopefully they're in the, the Champions League or some sort of European competition. That's when you qualify for through the league, continental competition, um, the, the top teams. For us, that's the US Open Cup. Obviously, this is an analogy, right? But like you have to qualify for it at our level. It's continental yeah. competition, best teams. I mean, it really is and, the closest thing we we have. So sure. Yeah. So I mean, certainly for a club at our level, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then then um, you know, we're gonna continue to compete in MPSL. And you know, that one would be maybe like some of the cup competitions, right? Like um they all they all overlap just like they would for your Premier League club. Um, you've got to manage your players, you got to manage your squad to compete in all of them. Yeah, you know, if push comes to shove, right? Like if, if we've got all this stuff overlapping, we're going to have to um, prioritize one over the other, right? If May comes around and we're in the uh, Open Cup and we're going to roll out against Minnesota United, that will get prioritized over USL2 or NPSL. If, you know, if others overlap, you know, it'll, it'll cascade down. Right. Um, but that should give us an opportunity um, to give players really meaningful games and really good leagues. Um, when we're not stepping away from UPSL either, we're looking at some of the things we've learned from futures where um, the futures league was really good, um, but perhaps was too long. And is there an opportunity, you know, cause it starts, um, and we play through the winter and into the spring. Is there an opportunity for a shorter seven aside indoor, just understanding the space constraints? Start to think about um, maybe UPSL for that. We haven't made a final decision there, but there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff about the UPSL. Um, I was surprised uh, by the level, and I don't mean that dismissively to the the teams. I mean I mean that as a wow, the very good level. Um, we didn't think it was going to be easy. It was not easy. Um, and uh, you know it doesn't have a lot of travel, uh, at least for us here in the in the Twin Cities. Um, and you know, for some of our younger players, they're able to roll out against men. And it's different. You know, when you come from age group, it's just different when you're playing against you know some big, tall, strong, fast twenty five year old who's got all the like veteran savvy, and he's faster than you are. And a lot of these kids haven't seen that, right? Um, so there's, there's a lot of good stuff for how that can start to fit in developmentally, but we love to, with that smaller crew, open up room for futures to move into. So be, all those competitions overlapping, I think allow it from a player's perspective to be a different and better model for them um, to really maximize our time with us in the summer. And I think from a from a fan perspective, there are games in the NPSL that you, just, you don't want to lose. Um, there are gonna be exciting new um, matches in USL2. Um, I think people are going to be really keen on seeing. Um, and so, you know, we're going to have to you know, work hard with facilities and all that to make it work. But the idea is that we do it all together in kind of a, you know, big pro club multi-competition model. This is kind of a silly question in the grand scheme of things, but in terms of team names, um, you know, you were forced to make Minneapolis city 
second team Minneapolis or not not the second team you're, you're forced to make a UPSL side name them Minneapolis City 2 does that mean there's going to be a Minneapolis City 3 now that you're technically <laughs> three different teams in three different leagues how's that going to work yeah well we'll actually there will be no more Minneapolis City 2 there'll just be one there'll be Minneapolis City which would be the senior team for all those competitions and then there'll be the futures okay and so you know it's like hey you know sometimes um you know this doesn't happen to me you know, too much with uh, Brighton as, as my Premier League team. I look at Matt Van Benskoten, right? Like you support Arsenal. Sometimes they roll out a team in the League Cup that's unrecognizable from their first team. It's still Arsenal, right? They're still trying to compete there. Um, yeah, maybe that – I hope we get into a situation where we're we're stacking up games with Open Cup and, you know, the, the two leagues that, that we have to get in a situation like that. But I think we've got the players to – like appropriately represent Minneapolis city and all those competitions. So why give it another name? I mean, except for futures, which of course is, you know, very much for, um, you know, a specific kind of age group, uh, opportunity. Do you guys have a specific, I mean, let, let's say there are two home matches in two different competitions set up same night. Can't avoid it. I mean, do you guys have a backup plan, a backup facility? Are you guys still trying to figure that out? How, how is that that going to work logistically in terms of just you mentioned the facilities portion of it having to work really hard? I mean, do do you have a backup plan? Have have you had a backup plan just in case that happened in the past? How does that work? Well, I mean, I think um, so. We, we haven't had to worry about that too much in the past. So we had have had a few scenarios where we had UPSL and PSL, and sometimes someone plays Friday, someone plays Saturday, someone plays earlier Saturday, someone plays later Saturday. Maybe you flip home games with someone. Um, I don't think it's impossible. I think that the larger challenge is just managing the squad so that you're competitive, knowing that you're going to have all those games because injuries happen, right? Like, um, and, and you know, this is uh, summer league too, right? So when do guys get released from school? When do they go back to school? Uh, sometimes they've got like their cousin's wedding they can't miss. So really, kind of managing how that plays out, I think it's going to be a a, a bigger challenge. Um, Facilities are always tough if you don't own them, right? Because there's always unexpected things that happen. But I think every every club knows that and does their best to help each other because, you know, it's going to be you, <laughs> you know, if, if not this season next because, you know, you're, you're just at the mercy of who you're renting from. Should, um, just on the topic of, of the potential for things to be happening around the same time, should we be expecting some, like, additional coaches to be announced in the near future? so that there's always someone in charge of, of every squad. Yeah. You know, I think um, we were pretty lucky this last year and that we had a really um, pretty large um, dedicated staff, right? So we had head coach and assistants for MPSL, UPSL, and then we had a crew for futures. Um, and we're having the discussions with uh, the coaches now. I, I expect just about all of them to come back. You know, there's always some who like, well, maybe they're going to go do grad school or maybe they, you know, will have an offer um, and they'll move out of town or something. So there, there's that, that I don't know that we can account for. Um, but the idea would be that, yeah, each, you know, we'd, we'd have a core staff. So as opposed to it being set up where it's like, this is just the NPSL staff, we'll be training together, we'll be um, building the teams together. But, you know, like a, you'd have a, head coach and then you can have a first assistant with the idea that they would take the NPSL team when it's overlapping with other league or other competitions. 
one of the biggest portions of the club from an organizational standpoint that this impacts, I think is, is right up your alley, Dan, is the budget, right? Um, you're still going to be making those trips to and from the Dakotas uh, for NPSL, but on top of that, you're in your Des Moines, Green Bay, St. Louis, Manitoba, uh, you know, a lot of longer trips, obviously a larger investment in transportation for those trips. Um, how much, how, how long, I mean, how much did you have to really crunch the numbers to, to see, okay, this is, you know, financially, you know, doable from a budget and a, and a financial standpoint? Did it take a lot? Do you have higher benchmarks from an income standpoint that, that you have to hit order for this to be successful? Um, talk me through that portion of it. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's going to be more expensive um, and it's going to be significantly more expensive. Um, even just the, the travel alone. Uh, that said, I think that the travel brings us more in line to with um, many other conferences and different leagues. We've been pretty lucky that, at least for us, more central that the um, travel costs have been pretty limited. But you know, if you're if you're Dakota Fusion out in Fargo, you're probably traveling as much as we'll travel for uh, USL two. So uh, may, maybe. S- don't quote me on that because like my, my knowledge of like the geography of North Dakota is admittedly not great, but you know, they've got long trips and everything's a long trip. Right. And that's yeah. expensive. Um, so, you know, for us, yeah, we, we worked hard on the budget and particularly knowing that, you know, we've, we've got double the league dues now we've uh, and there's, there's certain things that you always have referee costs and facilities, but like we've, we've doubled, Double those league dues, the travel is going to be a lot more expensive. I think the expectations from USL2 players for how you uh, train, what your facilities are like, how you travel, um, that those are those are different and um, are going to uh, are going to cost more. Um, but I think the good news is, as we've as we've looked at our growth over the years, like we're going to do the financial recap here soon. But we had a great season. And some of it was, was certainly goosed by uh, hosting the playoffs. It was fantastic, um, you know. But we were we were running into sellout territory at the end of the season for every single game. Um, yep. You know, we had we had the staff at Augsburg telling us that um, you know you guys are getting close to um, we're going to have to close off standing room only. Um, they thought it was great. They're like, we haven't seen the stadium this packed for you know years and years. Um, so that, that's, that's great news for us from a financial perspective, because that type of thing, first of all, like, you know, the, um, ticket revenue is great. Um, and they're selling more merch. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have sold just about as much merch this year as we did last year. Last year we had a, a kit launch. Um, this year we didn't, you know, so that was great. And then I think that helps drive us with some sponsors. So as we looked at the budget, you know, we believe that we can make it work. There are some things that we're going to have to do differently, right? There's some stuff that we were spending on that we're going to have to be more thoughtful on. Like, do we spend here? Do we spend there? Um, you know, cause at this level, the, the margins are fine, right? Like I say we did great. And that means, um, you know, we, we, we did not lose money. Right? <laughs> it didn't, didn't mean we're all going to fucking Vegas and spending a week there just, yeah. you know, cranking it up. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think we can do it. We worked, you know, we worked hard and we kind of shared it with the crew. So the coaches are well aware the ops group really knows everyone kind of understands where we are. Um, 
and we want to do it really well. So part of it is we know it's going to be more expensive because we want to level up our operations. I mean, if you look at where we started, when we started on um, our first season, we we're playing this patchy high school field and we'd, we'd had this idea for kind of like a uh, training pitch share with the local youth club. And that, that didn't work out for a lot of reasons that had nothing to do with them being bad partners. It's just, you know, like they get a game rained off or lightninged off the day before, then they'd have to play the game. Well, then we couldn't train, but like, it's totally fair. They have to play the game, right? There's stuff like that where I think about the experience of those players then versus um, what we're trying to achieve now. And frankly, what we've got to achieve, because we're going to be up against like, you know, the menace um, or Chicago to United or, you know, even Green Bay Voyagers who are owned by the crew that owns Ford Madison. Um, These are, these are clubs and ownership groups that have vastly more money than we do. They have more experience, maybe not, maybe not Green Bay from, from that point, from purely this level of soccer, but they've been doing minor league sports for a long, long time. They're very good. So like they're locked in. Right. Um, And, and they've got, um, some great success. I mean, we're going up against some of the historic powerhouses. So, you know, we've, we really are challenging ourselves to level up. Uh, we know that it's going to be a stretch, um, but there are also some things that, that we can do better. And, you know, my hope is with more games too, that starts to unlock some of the revenue. I know some of them, right? Like some of the games we, we host, like we lose money on already anyway, and that's not going to change. Some, some teams people really want to see some, some teams I really don't want to see. Um, and that, that is what it is, right? Like it's the same thing that's true in pro sports, right? LeBron James comes to town, whichever team he's playing on the wolves sell out mm-hmm. back, back when the bucks were bad, you know, when they turn up, it was yeah. target center is empty, right? Like that's just the way that sports work. So, um, you know, I, I recognize that not everyone's going to be a draw, but I think more games will be good. More competitive games will be good. Um, yeah, I think we can do it, but you know, there's a little bit of, this is going to be, it's a bigger ass than we've ever had before. Yeah, I would, I would say so. And talking about that competition aspect, you mentioned, um, you know, you guys have been the perennial powers in the NPSL North for the last couple of years, three straight conference championships. Um, now you're, you're moving up and you likely will probably not be the favorites to win USL league through the heartland division next year because you do have the Des Moines menace and all among others there. Um, talk to me about that decision to sort of kind of maybe not, not, not sacrifice, but I mean, I think a lot of the reasons you guys are, you know, you guys are, are cool. You're community oriented, you know, you, you do all the things right. I, I feel off the field. and I feel like that is a big thing that attracts you guys, but also you guys are, have been damn good on the field these last few years. Um, and to me, that is the biggest driving factor on whether or not somebody comes to your matches um, is, you know, you guys, you guys win a lot of them. Um, not that you're sacrificing that, but you, you are kind of taking a bit of a risk there in that jump. Um, how much did you guys mull over that portion of the decision? Um, and what ultimately made you decide that, okay, yep, it's worth it. We're going to, we're going to pull the trigger on this. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about it a lot and, you know, I think that there, there are different models of thought in sport, right? So if we took like a college model and we stayed in that conference, um, you know, you, you can dominate a conference for, for a long time. You can be a powerhouse in a, in a conference almost, almost forever. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, 
right? Like it's, it works just fine. Like the big 10, you know, like mm-hmm. Ohio state are always good. Even when they don't win, they're always good. That's just, that's just the way that it is. And it certainly hasn't stopped them from drawing fans and, um, you know, being a really interesting program. Um, and, you know, so there, there are a lot of reasons why that kind of appealed to us. You've got some really nice regional rivalries. Um, it's, it's very competitive. Like, yeah, we've, we've won those three years and um, I, our record is um, really impressive, but I think it's as impressive as it is because, um, you know, there are at least two or three teams every season are just nasty too so um it's not just you know beating up on a bunch of like northwesterns to pull for the big 10 analogy you know um it's absolutely not that um but i think soccer in you know soccer has a different model which is you know you're always trying to go up as high as you can to find your level and i, I think soccer fans are slightly different too um like i don't know enough about uh Ohio state or Ohio state fans to know what things would be like if they went up a level and were terrible. Um, but I know that in soccer, you don't find that same level of abandonment. And when we talk to our players, they wanted to challenge themselves at the highest level that they could. They wanted to be in a situation where they weren't always expected to win. Um, and I think because, you know, you, you just have that competitive drive. You have that, like ingrained soccer, you want to kind of move up, challenge yourself. You're willing to risk what comes with it. Um, and so we, there's just a lot of like intensity from the players about wanting to do it. Um, you know, it's the same thing with why so many players want to do uh, open cup, right? Like you want to challenge yourself against the best, you know, you know, that, um, you know, it's unlikely that you'll make a run to the final or even make it to play an MLS team. But, you're going to give it a fucking go. Right. So I think our guys wanted that too. And so, you know, from us as a club, it felt like, um, well, like we, we should enable that. And like, we should embrace what that model is. Like, I know, I know that it's fun to go to games when you win. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. that's a blast. Um, but, uh, like that said, it's more fun to go to a close game than it is to go to a blowout and our, and our ticket sales would indicate that uh, close games uh, or teams that can be expected to play us close um, do considerably better than games that, you know, are going to be a win and that, yeah, you know, we don't want to like, it's on us to make sure we don't go there and turn into um, like a a bottom dweller, right? Like we need to be competitive. We need to do our best to challenge. Um, But I, I get the feeling that if they're fun, competitive games, um like that's enough for people and that's certainly for our for our fans they want to see how far this club can go um and then you know like for me personally i think it'd be fun to be an underdog we had a blast when we were the underdog that first year um super fun and we the growth the fan growth we had from that first year to the second year was was huge but even that second year when we finished third and qualified for the playoffs we still saw huge growth from you know year two to year three Um, so like, I, I kind of agree with your premise, but I don't know that I totally agree with the premise within a range, right? Like if we're getting shelled all the time, then I think that would, I think that would be a problem. Um, you know, but if we're, if we're, if we're competitive and the games are fun and you're, you're, 
you know, able to, to go at it. I, I don't know that us going from winning the title to finishing third or fourth, as long as we're competitive is gonna, like, is gonna turn people off. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Oh, yeah, I hope. Right. Cause yeah, we're, we're going into a really, really difficult league. And then frankly, the NPSL is going to stay really tough. You know, the teams keep getting better. Hell, you even look at, at Eris this year, they had, um, they had this, uh, midfielder. It's just a fantastic player. He's by far the best player I've ever seen play for Eris. And there, there are a few other players who I thought were pretty handy too. Um, you know, that, that type of player only arrives if, you know, that, um, coach and ownership group are really trying to improve and trying to recruit and like working really hard to level up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, across the board, we've seen that. So no one, no one's standing still. Like it's, it's difficult to keep going. And I think it could be pretty fun to, you know, like if I put my fan hat on, I'm like, this is pretty cool. I, I get more games, I get new competition. I get some of my like rivals. I know the games are going to be close. Like that's all you want, right? Like that's the point of sport. So um, yeah, again, hopefully we don't finish last. Uh, that would suck. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got to try something new. And again, I think that's a thing that sets soccer apart. It's like the willingness to level up and try shit, like mm-hmm. challenge the big boys. Um, you know, it's like why people like March Madness. There's all this, this David against Goliath type of stuff that I think you get really into. I wish yeah. there was more of it in American sports, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we might have to call uh, U of M, have them open up TCF Bank Stadium for that first uh, Minneapolis City Des Moines Menace game. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be ha- I feel like they'll be hanging from the rafters at Augsburg. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I think I think uh, I would go see that game, but you never know at this level, and and the competition in the cities continues to increase. Um, I'm a believer that, particularly with soccer, the more soccer, the better, because it brings more and more people in. Um, but it's a, it is a competitive environment, right? All the pro sports teams, big 10. Now we've got another division one program. I mean, heck our minor league baseball team has a downtown stadium and draws eight to 9,000 fans a game. I mean, it's just, um, it's a, it's a crowded market. So we've got, there are some people who really care about the menace and know about it. Um, there are vast number of people who don't. So part of it's on us to really educate, um, You know, and um, hopefully that's a, a thing that we can continue to do and, and broaden. I mean, I think the success of Minnesota United helps us because they bring more people into soccer. And it's sort of like if, you know, if you have a really good coffee shop, a good local coffee shop, um, having Starbucks come into your town or even your neighborhood doesn't hurt you. In fact, you can really do well because Starbucks brings more people into coffee or, or buying coffee out more regular coffee and so as that happens people get really into it they start to look for some other options um and so as long as united continue to do a good job of being an interesting thing for people to try it's like a great gateway into the sport i mean so is fifa and you know frankly so is ted lasso like i saw that bennett tweet about it but you know like it may not have been it's twitter right so like did it have any of the nuance that you you probably wanted no but i get his point right yeah yeah. You know, like that started to mainstream the sport back when I was a kid. There's no way that you would have ever gotten any mainstream show to say anything about soccer that wasn't like, you know, those those guys are pansies or whatever. It was you know, it was like the '80s and '90s, right? Like they, it was, yeah. like it, it it was not okay how they talked about the sport. Now it's, um, right. 
and just like FIFA, like I think back to college, um, like the, the old days of, of FIFA in the nineties and early two thousands. Yeah. And like, that was, that was how all my, all my roommates and buddies got into soccer yeah. was playing this video game. And now a lot of them are like big fans and they're buying all the shit. And they're going to games. And so like, I'm, I'm all for mainstream stuff, bringing people in the more people support soccer, the better, like it's not gatekeep yeah. that let's like, let's welcome people. It's the only we need we need all the people in, in the stands that we can get. You know, it's the only way we stick around. And it's true for everybody. I promise we will get right back into the interview in just a minute. But first, wanna let you know about our good friends over at Stimulus Athletic. You probably heard us talk about them each and every week here on 10K. Uh, Stimulus Athletic is really we talk about stimulus a lot and we actually we seek them out. Seeked? Is that the word? We, we sucked? No, no, because they don't suck. Uh, we seek them out to be our title sponsor here on 10K because, like, this is our audience. Our audience are, are mainly people in the soccer community. We're not ignorant to that fact. And we figure people in the soccer community love good soccer jerseys and probably have teams who need good soccer jerseys every season. And that's exactly what Stimulus Athletic provides. They are locally owned and operated right here in Minneapolis. And their owner, Jason Mora, is a mainstay in Minnesota soccer history. So you're you're really helping contribute to not only the local community here in Minnesota, but also Minnesota soccer and somebody who has done a lot for Minnesota soccer in Jason. So um, Stimulus Athletic, not only are you, are you helping, but you are getting it quality quality product or products in the process i mean they can outfit your club with jerseys warm-up apparel you know socks doesn't matter doesn't have to be sock it could be any number of sports as well so if you want an example of what stimulus athletic can provide you know there's a club you may have heard of them minneapolis city sc they use stimulus athletic for their jerseys and minneapolis city are the pinnacle of lower league soccer right and they use stimulus for their jerseys. Uh, other great sides like Joy of the People or Vlora FC here locally. It's not just local either though. Tulsa Athletic, they went to the NPSL championship game, national championship game this year. They use stimulus athletic. How about the Anguilla national team? A national team in their World Cup qualifying matches Use Stimulus Athletic for their jerseys. War Stimulus Athletic apparel. That's the quality you're getting, but you're not paying an arm and a leg. This isn't Nike. This isn't Adidas. I don't know if I can I'm supposed to name drop other brands on these reads, but I don't really care. That's not, you know, you're not paying an arm and a leg for this stuff. This is quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices. That's the whole reason Jason pursued this venture in game gear and apparel. He played soccer. He knows how much it sucks to be out on a soccer field and be uncomfortable wearing something that's too heavy or doesn't breathe right or is just not comfortable to wear. It's quality game gear. It's quality apparel. And it's at very affordable prices. So if you are a soccer, baseball, basketball, ultimate Frisbee team looking to say, okay, who's going to uh, produce our jerseys for this coming season? Stimulus Athletic is the place you should be looking at. 
stimulusathletic.com. Click that get started button. If you have a design already, maybe you have a designer, maybe you are a designer, that's fine. They can take that design, apply it to their quality products. If you don't have a design, guess what? Stimulus has a design team as well. They do whatever you need to get you the look and the jerseys you need. Stimulusathletic.com. Click that design tab. Click that get started button. And make sure throughout the process you let them know Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. All right. I know that was a long ad read. Right back into the interview we go. Um, let's talk about that fan um, support a little further. Um, I've, I've seen other clubs, you know, who have uh, made the transition from, you know, quote unquote, more independent lower league soccer to the USL again, quote unquote system. Um, and not all of the response to those moves has been positive. Um, were you worried about the response at all to this? Cause I, I know USL too, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, on the same level as like an NPSL that, you know, the, the independence, you don't lose your independence as a club. You don't lose your lower league badge or whatever you want to, you want to say you have, but you know, it is kind of, it can be seen as a move into a, a, you know, a USL branded system that not many, not a lot, you know, not everyone sees as, you know, something that's positively affecting soccer in America. Um, were you worried about having kind of the USL attached to Minneapolis city be seen as a negative? I mean, yeah. And like I kind of said at the beginning, um, I hadn't even considered them for years because of that. And some of it, you know, went down to the soccer wars from the thunder stars United days and all that. Um, and I can't speak to how things were in the past and they can't speak to how things were professionally, but a lot of the things that I saw that, um, challenged me for liking them. It would have challenged me for going to the league um, as we talked to them, like weren't, weren't the case. Right. So we're, we're a 501 C three and we have a diffuse ownership group and um, we wanted to own all of our IP and, you know, we like had all these things that we, that were important to us. Um, and again, like there's probably someone out there who's like, that's not true at championship level. Well, we didn't join USL championship. And I can't speak to that because I, <laughs> I don't know if any of those things are true. All I can say is, you know, at, at that level for us, um, we were able to be us. And in fact, I think given given the way that their league is structured and, and organized and led, that we're going to be able to be more us and we're going to be able to be more effective in marketing. Um, and that we're going to have, an, we're going to be able to focus more on playing and building our club than we, than we have to focus on, you know, stupid league bullshit. Um, and that's part of the, the value of having all those teams at all those different levels, right? They've got a scale. And so that means they've got um, more people and that means they've got more documentation and that means they've got, you know, more processes. And so for me, did I ever think that stuff was going to be meaningful? No, it actually sounds like a nightmare um, mm -hmm. until, until you need it. Right. Because what is the process for working through scheduling? What are the you know guidelines for, um, social media schedule announcement, like any of the stuff that you need to, what do you, what do you do? Um, you know, if a, if a referee is unavailable, you know, for if, if they're sick or they get in a car accident or any of that stuff, like the day of the game, all this stuff that really starts to, um, matter when you get into it, where like the process does really matter and the documentation matters, it makes it easier because instead of having to make a bunch of calls or wait for the email back or text people, 
you know, you've got it right there. And for us, it's all about the club, right? Like all, that's what matters with all the respect to the leagues that we're in. Um, I do not care about them. I care about Minneapolis city. And so like, I care about them relative to how they help the club. And I want to be a good uh, citizen within the league um, so that we have teams to play and, you know, not not suggesting that they're not valuable like we need teams to play we need that organization that's really important but you know it's about Minneapolis city and so um yeah you know you have to sign a franchise agreement but you know what i said i don't remember for recording or if it was earlier but like npsl upsl and usl2 all require expansion fees they all require league dues they all have minimum standards they all have handbooks it's the same thing mm-hmm Okay, one's called a franchise agreement. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, what are the others? Because I have to do the same stuff. Yeah. You know, in, um, so again, like I, I, I absolutely was initially kind of like a no franchise soccer, um, but we need the best possible place for our club to play in a way that allows us to maintain our own independence, and we've gotten that, and we've we've gotten it the same way with the. Uh, with the other leagues, right? Like it's, it's like that office thing with Pam, you know, the meme where she's like, it's the same picture, you know, like yep. the price might be different. You know, the, the minimum standards are like tweaked a little bit here and there. There, there certainly are. Um, you know, there's a, you get what you pay for element to it, you know, and if you value that, which we value it, um, you know, the value for the higher price is, is there, but not everyone does, you know, like with, with Stegman's our men's league team, you know, those guys, um, I count myself as a proud member. Like we don't, we don't want to travel all over the Midwest. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't care about national title. We just like want to go play within the cities at a, at a decent level, have fun. You know, like, yep. so that's fine. Right. Like the clubs have to find what's right for them. Um, and I'm, I'm all for like, Hey, USL isn't value for some clubs. Great. Um, but I think some of the stuff that, you know, that, that at least I saw on Twitter that kind of turned me off from them at the beginning, as I got to know the organization, look at the documentation, I'm like, that's simply not true, or at the very least, simply not true for League Two. Um, but since as I emphasized, all I care about is Minneapolis City, I don't care if it's true for, you know, League One or Championship until it gets to that point, and then I guess we'll see, right? Yeah. Um. I want to I don't want this question to seem counter to your last response because it's not, but anytime a new team joins USL League Two, the tweet or social media post says so and so team is joining the Path to Pro. They have this Path to Pro hashtag that's kind of their their motto. They're the Path to Pro. And, and that sort of has the undertone of of them saying like the teams within USL League Two are being nurtured to become professional clubs in the in the future. Um, does this move say anything about Minneapolis City's plans for the future in terms of of where where you want to go next? What that next hill is for you guys to climb? So I always thought that the path to pro was speaking to the players because you know okay. if you look at if you look at the the number of players that have gone from USL two to MLS in particular, I mean, it's, it's astonishing. And if you look at the, you know, every, every year's class of players, they've all had, you know, done some time at, at USL two level. And I mean, I'm, I'm proud that, 
Luke Hawkinson played with us for a couple of years. Brandon by came by, like, you know, I, I think it shows that at NPSL, you know, you, you certainly can have players at that level. It doesn't hurt their ability to, to play there. Um, you know, but you look at some of these clubs, Des Moines or Reading or Flint city or others, and you look at their alumni, like, Holy crap. <laughs> and we've seen it from, from college coaches, you know, a lot of, we have, you know, even this past year, you know, we lost a number of players who are Minnesota based players who've played with us before, um, whose coaches wanted them to play at USL two level. And they're very good division one players. Um, you know, like take Rory O'Driscoll, for example, who's just tearing it up for university of New Hampshire. They're ranked ninth in the country right now. You know, he played with us for two years. His older brother plays with us. Um, he ended up playing with that fusion team that lost the national final to, uh, Des Moines menace. So he's, he's a talented, talented player. Um, you know, his, his coach wanted him to, to go to USL too, because, um, you know, there's a perception that, um, you get, um, you know, better training with better organization with, with better, um, athletic training, you know, that, that that's true. Um, and you know, like, I can't speak to, particularly not me, right? Like I don't make me a living in soccer. I'm not a coach. Do, mm-hmm. do not listen to me telling you if that perception is fair or not. How would I know? They're, they're the college coaches, right? All I know is that we hear that and that there are players who get directed to go other places. It certainly didn't slow down Rory. He's having a hell of a season, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, but we saw, we've seen that previously with like Samuel Ruiz Plaza. Um, I could, I could list a bunch of guys that I don't want to um, pick on Rory or, or, or pick on their, their coach at all. Um, just to, to make a point that the perceptions there from the coaches, the perceptions there from the players. And the, and if you look at the alumni list, those players do go on to pro. So I always thought it was that, um, but that's not the question you asked me. Um, I get, I get the question all the time about the move to pro and um, I can just tell you, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know. We have this, this last uh, kind of year or two uh, for the first time had, uh, potential investors start to reach out to us. Um, and I can't tell if they're reaching out because we're really interesting or because these investors don't know anything about soccer or like what is, is going on. Um, you know, but I, I think, um, I do think if, if you look at a lot of the, um, like if you look at the growth path that we're on, um, in terms of fans, revenue, all this stuff, um, particularly given how much, uh, we spend, which is relatively very, very little. We, we, we bootstrapped it all um, to get to this place um, that we could be pretty interesting, um, which is cool. I like having options. Um, I don't know because I don't know if it's the right thing to do, right? So yeah. for us, we have, this, we, we have this place that we fit within the soccer landscape in Minnesota, and we, we started purposely to fill it. When Minnesota United went to MLS, just by the very nature of MLS and, and playing at that level, they weren't able to... Um, be what they were when they were like the old thunder, which was, which could certainly like there are guys who came out of like the top of MASL, which at the time would get some of those top uh, division one players and, and could play with them. Right. Like um, now, even if, even if you were a top player who was <laughs> playing MASL, it's hard to imagine. Um, and you were good enough for um, Minnesota United, the MLS mechanisms are such that, right. That, just doesn't work that way. Um, and if you're, if you're fast track to MLS, you're going to, you're going to do the MLS Academy thing. You're not, you're just going to skip that whole world anyway. Um, 
and then we've got these um, these clubs, and and you know, for all that uh, you know, people complain about club soccer in America. Um, you know, I think that the clubs largely do an excellent job. Obviously, not every club, obviously not every team, right? Like, but I think if you look at them, they're they're run by well-meaning people who are doing their best to bring players along, who, and who are trying to serve their communities, right? Like, they they're looking at like C two U nine or whatever they are now, blue U nine teams. Um, you know, up to you know some of them trying to be competitive nationally. So they're they're trying to serve a lot of a lot of people. But like our gap was that. U18, U19, to above, um, get you ready for college, get you ready for that next level. So how do we serve that, right? Could it happen at USL1? I could I could see that. Could it happen at NISA? I could, I could see that. Um, do I have this fierce drive to go pro and, you know, make a living in soccer or sell the club and get rich or do, you know, do stuff that I think a lot of people get into? No, they really don't. Could we stay here and fulfill that mission um, and be really happy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that's a difference for us. I mean, that's the reason why we're a 501c3, right? Like if we're super successful and someone comes in and wants to take us, you know, to USL, whatever, or NISA, whatever, um, you know, like there are no shareholders, there's no getting rich, like we can't sell and make money. And that's a feature, not a bug. Because I think when that happens, it's, um, Gosh, it makes you question whether it's right or wrong. My dad would tell the story about, so he used to work for an aerospace company, like the last big aerospace company in Southern California. And he tells a story about how once they're out East doing these meetings with a, a potential vendor and um, the vendor sent uh, this woman, as my dad uh, described her, a sweet young hard body uh, to knock on his hotel room door like later that night to go over the numbers. And, uh, you know, he's like, so the lesson that you need to learn from that is if you haven't made your mind up beforehand, what you're going to do in the moment, you're not going to make the right decision, which is like mm -hmm. a dad lesson, right? But like a good one, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And so I, I think, you know, kind of belabor that point on the 501c3, because it's easy to say, yeah, we'll make, we'll definitely make the right decision. You know, but you look at those clubs like in England, if someone said, Hey, do you want two and a half million dollars for the, for the club? You know, if I had not already made up that mind, my mind, yeah. I might, that goes a long way. In fact, I'm rethinking this whole 5-1-C-3. I do think, I think it makes you make different decisions. Right. And so I can see a world where, you know, I look at what Scott Gallagher did in St. Louis before St. Louis MLS came in and they had a USL club that was well supported and did really well. And they had this whole youth um, organization behind it. And Gallagher has been good since I was a little kid and they, they develop players and they serve these community teams. It was, it was a great model. It had a pro team at the tip. Could we do that? Sure. I, you know, like we even have a model. Yeah, that could be it. Um, but do, do we need it? Does it really exist? Like, you know, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of a maybe. So that's why I say, uh, could we go, is this a step to going pro? I don't know. Cause it's going to depend on what, like what we need for our mission and frankly, what happens in soccer, um, you know, cause soccer is such that um, someone could plop a, a different team right here in the twin cities. And then, then you're locked out or, or whatever, but um you know, we're just trying to 
I think the I think the community focus and the mission focus and the fact that no one is getting rich off of this means that we've got some staying power. As long as people care about it and are willing to volunteer and work, then it almost doesn't matter what level we're at. Yeah. Like I think. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but I'll be interested to see what happens with the program because I think um I think what Ford Madison have done in USL one is they've shown a model for financially successful division three soccer in a way that's never existed before. Yeah. And if I was, and you know, maybe union Omaha have as well, Tyler David, who was playing with us, who played at union Omaha um, during the pandemic year saying they were, they were at half capacity because of the pandemic, they were sold out every game. Um, you know, like mm -hmm. there could be this model at that level that really works. That'd be really exciting. I think Nice is kind of interesting. I mean, certainly, um, you know, the success stories of Detroit and Chattanooga, but, you know, can mm -hmm. some of these other clubs start to develop a following, like legitimate following so it's not a owner's play thing? That would be, mm -hmm. be really interesting. I think there's some cool things that are happening. Um, there are some threatening things that are happening, like some ominous things too, but yeah. um, like that, the Ford Madison model is one that, could be a really great thing for us soccer and, and for clubs like like ours they kind of yeah. give you a blueprint at the at the professional level um so yeah but even then it's a huge level up i mean yeah they just got to add another zero to everything you do absolutely um and as you mentioned you guys kind of already increased the budget quite a bit for uh your move to usl too so um glad you sort of uh went through you know all of the options, potential options in the future and, and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, clarified kind of your stances to, in terms of what your move to USL two means, uh, for the club. Um, this also comes at an interesting time because at, at the same time, USL also just announced their USL super league on the women's side, which is a tier two women's league. Um, they also have the USLW League, which is coming out in 2022, which is kind of a, a semi-professional uh, league under the USL umbrella on the women's side. Uh, you guys have a women's program that is currently sort of in the development phase. Um, can you give us, start just for to start off, can you give us just kind of an update on, on where that is and what the timelines are? Yeah. So, you know, for us, it's about um, what we want to do is we want to fill gaps that exist in the market place so we had we'd wanted to do the women's team from the beginning you know it became again like um you know we started with a five thousand dollar loan and um then everything else just was supporter built right like bootstrap from merch sales and ticket sales and all that um i probably should have thought about a fundraiser that was turned out to be a really smart idea um <laughs> you know but uh, we're trying to we're trying to see where we could where we could really fit and the the gaps are different on the women's side than they are on the men's side so we've had a lot of really fruitful conversations with youth clubs talking about what that gap is and where we could really fit um you know there there are some other challenges on the on the women's side too where like you know the uslw um you know the twin cities is locked down with a um, franchise agreement that that group has so we couldn't join that um, you know, the UWS doesn't really have a footprint here. So what does that start to mean? Um, and as, as we talk about, you know, the, the, the women's league that is here, that does have active teams, like how can we be additive to what they do? Um, I think 
you know, we've heard it from women like Tori Burnett, who coaches with us, of like, women want the Minneapolis City experience because it's more meaningful to play in front of fans. Like, with the, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like youth soccer anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I, th- I think we can, I think we can provide that. Um, but I think we've got to find, and what we've been working on is like making sure we can really define the fit. So when we join, we're not, we're not trying to like replicate or push aside or disrespect all of the great work that's being done in the women's game right now. I went to the Salvo MTA game. Um, that was their, uh, WPSL opener this last summer. And if you look at the rosters from those teams, holy smokes, it was like yeah, a lot of talent. former pros, like top division one talent. Um, I mean, just like lights out quality on, on that field. Um, didn't have the uh, like fan experience and the other stuff around it, um, but the quality on the field was just just extraordinary. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think with that and what's happening with USLW, you know, it's just caused us to make sure that we're we're thinking the right way about it. Um, I'm not put off futures. We took I think two and a half years to between when we had gotten the board approval or the member approval to look into what was at the time we're like let's look into u19's program um until we develop something so we've got a we've got a group that's working on it you know we've um been getting as smart as we can um you know i, I think that 2022 is going to be probably too soon and I, I don't know that we have a great slot to play in anyway um yeah. i'd like to think that it's gonna gonna happen soon um but you know it's all about being additive right so like when we join when we started what we did it was additive there there weren't there there wasn't a league of youth clubs that were doing this post-college thing that we just parachuted in and kicked aside right um and i yeah i want to make sure that we're being really cognizant of that because at a certain point with all these different leagues at all these like kind of different levels like you know we're not really we're not helping the players so like separate from the fan experience which is just weird why do we have all these leagues at the same level imagine you're a player right um and this could happen on the men's side or the women's side they just have different acronym names so like you're you're a good player who can play at that level and it's like where should you play what league should you play in what team should you play in why would you like you know when you're us um like take take Des Moines Menace. Why would you, if you're Des Moines Menace, drive past Minneapolis and Duluth to go to Thunder Bay and not play either of us? Mm-hmm. Not that not that you know you shouldn't also play Thunder Bay, but like at a certain point, what if all the teams that could compete at that level played together? That's better for the players. Certainly better for the fans, right? Because you can get you actually travel away games and all that. But um, you know, and I I can see it splintering on the women's side, and I guess I just we don't want to be part of that. So there may have been a long answer that didn't, didn't go anywhere. The short one is we're, we're working on it very seriously. It's it's more complex than it was on the men's side, and we want to get it right. Well, just wanted to make sure I got an update because, you know, women's soccer is kind of on the brain with this uh, with this announcement. So, and uh, obviously this is something that has kind of been in the works for, for a little bit. So um, glad to get some clarification on that. Um, last thing here, Dan, and I really do appreciate the time. Um Actually, I'm going to ask you a small question before I actually my actually ask you my final question. I probably should have asked this question earlier, but um, scheduling. I don't know anything about USL League Two scheduling. Is it roughly the same as NPSL, UPSL? Any differences there that could cause 
you know, you could have to adjust your, your, your process in terms of timelines. It, it will be roughly the same, you know, because um, you have, have a similar player footprint and, and all that. So we would still do, um, and who knows what the open cup is going to be. Let's assume the open cup is the exact same as it was before the pandemic. Um, we should qualify. We should play uh, in March in the first round. And if we win, um, we play the second round uh, in April. And then all the, all those leagues, uh, USL two, um, MPSL, UPSL start in May. And then they, they run approximately the same time, slight differences depending on when do the playoffs start? When does that happen? But largely the, they overlap um, almost to the day. Very cool. All right. And this is my final last question here for you, Dan. And again, can't thank you enough for the time going almost an hour here on this, on basically one topic, which is, uh, which is pretty cool to go that, you know, dig that deep on it. Um, when you look at the process of, of making this decision, what was the conversation, the, the thought, the action, whatever it was that turned it from consideration to we're going to send this to a vote? What was kind of that one, one deciding moment, if there was one? Well, so there, there, was, there was one for each side of the coin. So we um, started talking to the players and I'd ask the coaches to reach out to the players and ask them what they thought. And we thought that we'd get some enthusiasm from the younger guys, but maybe the older guys wouldn't be into it. Everybody was like, we should do this. We should join. It's going to be fucking awesome. Like I want to play against them. I want to, like, I want to challenge ourselves. So when we were hearing that feedback back from everyone, that surprised me. I, I wasn't sure that, that that I would expect it, but they they had this point of view of what's the point of playing if you can't keep challenging. Like let's go, let's go, let's yeah. go. That was cool. Um, and then we had a our, we had a, a couple of member meetings in the and we were talking with the member board and all that. But it was the first member meeting where we were we were talking about what we wanted to be as a club. And we have an out of town member um, from Chattanooga who um, was was talking about their experience. Who's talking about and he came from a place of not feeling great about USL given the Red Wolves um, going to mm-hmm. Chattanooga, but like kind of really focused us on what's the point of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, if, if the point of what you're doing is to get pro as quickly as possible, um, this is, I, at least this is his opinion, right? He's like, his opinion is you, you can't go this way. If it is about, you know, you think this is the best way to get the best players, to get them in the best showcase, and you can do it in a way that doesn't like tie your hands in the future so you can't be something else. He's like, I'd, I'd probably go that way. And as people chimed in, more and more said that about, you know, this actually seems right. This seems like this is what we're supposed to be. This seems like it could be fun and great for the players. So that meeting and the player response really surprised me. I was worried in that member meeting that you get a lot of like, you don't know franchise football stuff that you, you hear on Twitter. But again, like I was at in both of those cases from the players and those fans in the first one, um, like the consideration and the excitement that came out of it really surprised me. Um, and you know, like with with the coaches and like the core group, um, we were for a long time really nervous about the move. Right? It's like expensive. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard. Um, we could, we could lose a ton of games. I mean, there's just a whole <laughs> lot of stuff there. Like the risk was really high. We we're fucking nervous. Um, but the enthusiasm of the players and fans to get after it. Like I know it was two moments. You asked for one, but like 
those two stick out to me when the coaches reported back to one of our meetings. And then that, that first member meeting where I was thinking, wow, all right, everyone wants to, to fucking go for it. Yeah. All right. We're going for it. Like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was pretty invigorating because um, it can be easy. Like it can be easy to be worried about the risk mm-hmm. because you know, you spend so much time thinking about the risk. Are we going to make the budget or any fans going to come? Is it going to, it's going to rain. Is it going to get hurt? Like, are we not going to be, be good this season? Like all those worries, you know? Um, but to have all this enthusiasm for like, let's level up. Uh, that was really cool. And that's, that's definitely going to stick with me. It's one thing to have that mindset just moving into a new league, but you're also moving into a conference with the freaking defending national champs. Like that's uh, that's just a whole different animal too, to be added on top of just, just, you know, upgrading the, the competition is one thing in a new league, but to do it against the best of the best within that league already, that's just, you know, kind of puts it all on top of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, um, I'm excited to tangle with them um, for sure. And I think it might be in some ways liberating to like go in and just try and be the underdog. Um, but I, I'd be lying if I, if I also wasn't a little bit, a little bit nervous, right? Like story, story organization, really good. Well, that's, what do we sign up for? <laughs> <laughs> well, we will find out, you know, once the schedule comes out, that'll be a, a circle date on the calendar for sure. And uh, just really, really excited to uh, see how this process continues and see how Minneapolis City does in this new uh, adventure, this new uh, league, USL League 2, Minneapolis City joining for the 2022 season. Dan Hudeman, uh, we have talked for Could almost I, an hour I, and a few minutes. Dominic wants to break in, though. I want five more minutes on it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just a, just a quick, you know, and, and you were you've laid out this uh, this idea that you you know the teams developing multiple competitions. You made the analogy to how professional teams often do a version of that, and it, it's a really exciting idea. And when you lay it out like that, it makes a lot of sense, even though it's not a thing normally done. And to me, something that came to mind is you know you hear a lot of people say phrases like um, "club before league" or "club above league" or you know some version of that, um, and it feels like most of those people, when you say something bad about the league they play in, they suddenly don't necessarily actually feel that way. Um, and the system you're talking about is seems like the embodiment of that idea. I mean, you're quite literally detaching sort of the club from this one league attachment that most teams would have. So uh, long story short, my question is, is there any part of you, I know you mentioned obviously your main concern is just what happens with Minneapolis City, but is there any part of you that is hopeful that sort of some of the mentality or ambition behind this idea might become like a more widespread thing in amateur soccer, that this might become an idea that doesn't feel so strange to other people that you might be starting something. So that's, that's a fantastic question. And um, what I, what I'm starting to realize, and I didn't, I didn't realize it when we began and it, it caused me to um, do some stupid things um, is that the best possible thing is that the clubs each individual club is able to find the place that really fits for them right because you know so much of it can be um you know geographical or what what have you but so much of it can be luck right like i really like the detroit city ownership group they've done a fantastic job but if they didn't have that the set of fans who like attach themselves to them 
who evangelized for that club, who made the uh, um, experience what it is. All their good work would have ended up with with a good club. Again, like they they were smart people, did a great job, but it, it wouldn't have been the same, right? And so some of that was they they're not the only ownership group that's done a nice job, right? <laughs> um, again, not to take away from them, they're, they're you know I, I'm, I've I've learned a lot from them. They've been very generous with me, like to. Uh, teach me stuff. So I, I say that from an area of respect, but like, um, I think that there are other clubs that could do this. And there, there are a few others that do do things like this a, around the country, but for different reasons. Um, and so I, yeah, t- I would, I think it would be interesting to have it be less unusual because for the right club, I think it makes sense, but for others, you know, having, and it would be great if it was unified, but for others, the right fit is to be in the UPSL in a more um, locally focused type of league that does allow you to level up nationally. Um, and for others, it's good to have a first team and second team. For some, it's great to be the top of a youth organization. And that doesn't quite, you know, like there's so many different models at this level that um, I, th- I think if I could, so if I could change anything reasonably, because the best change would be somehow to start to unify it, but to reasonably change it, some of the restrictions that the leagues have from um, being able to play across leagues or some of the challenges that throws up, um, I'd loosen because I could see scenarios where um, successful clubs do well by um, playing in multiple leagues, whether in a, in a multi-tier system or in, in a um, you know, kind of single um, group system. Um, and the more teams you got playing and more competitions, I think it's better, you know, like I think about what's going on up in Duluth and, and how they're starting to build the Academy out and like, what's, what's the right league for that Academy? What's the right league for that Academy in two years? I mean, there, there's a growth that comes with it that you kind of have to cobble together right now. Cause you can't, <laughs> there's no like linear way to do it. Um, and, you know, if it was a little bit easier to find the, the league that fit or to like combine the competitions that fit, I think that'd be a lot better. It'd help clubs grow and help them find their level. Um, it like seems so negative when you say it, but like, we're going to find our level and our level is not going to be MLS, right? Like we'll never get there. We may never even be professional and that's okay. As long as we can find a sustainable place we feel good about, um, but like let that happen. Um, so I don't know if I answer your your question directly, but I think it's a really good one because it starts to think about like, what's the point of this club? Why are we here? Right. And like, how do you plot your way to grow there? If you've got to do this weird league hop call thing to fit what you need right now, because like to stick with the Duluth Academy level, like it's not going to be the same this year as it was last year, as it will be in two years. Just like when, you know, when we started and we were at that patchy, high school field with the shared training, like we're not the same club. Um, and that, that should be good if you're going in the right direction and it should be easier to cobble those competitions to help you move forward. Like I wish there was more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I can't think of a better way to end than that. Uh, Dan Hudeman, the co-founder of Minneapolis city SC USL league Two bound Minneapolis city SC uh, for 2022. Dan, can't thank you enough for the time. We really appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more as that USL League 2 season approaches. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Thank you.